This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey there, you're listening to More Than Potential, the podcast. On this show, we talk about mental health, well-being, and self-improvement from a Gen Z perspective. I'm your host, Faith. So, how's everyone doing? Good, good. I'm glad you're doing well. I'm doing pretty good myself. Not much to really update you guys on just because nothing has really changed. (laughs) I'm still living where I'm living, probably still going to move. Ice and I are doing great. I'm doing this new thing with Ice where I'm teaching him to communicate with me. So as you know, or you can guess, cats, they're very independent. They don't like to be told what to do. So I can't just force him or coerce him to to press these buttons to communicate with me. He has to do it on his own. So basically what I'm doing is I have two different buttons where I've recorded my voice giving a command. And so there's two different commands so far. I'm only starting him out with two, eat and playtime. And so by modeling certain behavior, I'm teaching him what both of those buttons means and what it can get me to do. So for instance, if I want to feed him or give him food during the day, I'll say, eat, 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 it's time to go eat, it's time to go eat. And he hears the excitement in my voice, so he automatically comes running. But, but when I press the button twice, I make sure he's looking at me press the button and then I go give him his food. And then as he's eating, I press it twice again and I say, eat, you're eating, you're eating. And so the goal is by modeling certain behavior, he's going to see me do certain things and understand what that button means. Since I believe cats don't understand English, so they they can pick up on our facial expressions and our tone of voice, but not necessarily what we're saying. Specific words, usually no. Dogs pick up on a lot of our actual words. So they're really, they're they're seen as easier to train because they pick up on words a lot quicker than cats do. I think the only word my cat does know is the word no. (laughs) But outside of that, yeah, I don't think cats understand English. So I'm trying to approach this from the perspective of, he speaks a completely different language. How best can I communicate with him? And I think this poses an intellectual and um, stimulating challenge for him. So by incorporating this during our days together, I'm hopefully going to see some results. From what I've read, it's going to take at least four to six weeks before he'll start doing it on his own. I just have to be consistent. And so far I have been. I haven't skipped a day or forgotten. I'll keep you posted if he actually does it, but he doesn't do it for now. He just kind of looks at me. The good news is he's not afraid of the buttons anymore. So he'll sniff it and he's, he's started to get acquainted with them, but he still hasn't actively pressed the button himself. He doesn't feel empowered to do that yet. So we'll see. But anyway, that's what's happening in my life. Uh, Let's get on to business. So today's episode, I wanted to talk about romantic love. 
I would not argue that romantic love is the most fulfilling love, but it is definitely the one that can derail or alter the course of our lives forever. I say that because, you know, essentially, if you fall in love with someone and get married, which the majority of people do, your decision can affect your entire life. So it's important to talk about romantic love and what our expectations are and what role it really has in our lives. So for me personally, I am very single. I'm okay with being single. I don't feel compelled to change my my relationship status at all. And, you know, I think maybe when I turned 22 last year, I didn't, not last year. Oh my God, y'all, I'm 24 years old. I forgot how old I am. 22 was two years ago. Wow, that's crazy. That is so crazy. Anyway, two years ago when I turned 22, um, that was the moment where I could definitely say I truly stopped caring about my relationship status. Like I didn't see it as a big deal. I'd spent the majority of my youth obsessing over having a boyfriend. And then out of nowhere, I just decided, nah, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good on all of that. I am okay. I am okay with being alone. Romantically, I am perfectly fine with being alone. And I think part of it was because of the fact that I didn't come from a place of scarcity. I understood that as my self-esteem grew and I, I don't know, I guess I could say I had higher sense of self-worth. I attracted very like high quality partners, I would say. And so I didn't really feel like I was missing out on anything. Like I know I could hop on Tinder, Bumble, whatever dating app and manifest a guy to entertain me for the next few months. Now, I am not a huge fan of serial monogamy. I'm more of like a life partner, in my opinion. So I can't see myself going from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship. I can't do it. I don't know how some of y'all do it, honestly. And that's no you know, sh shame on you. It's just an acknowledgement that I don't have the, the emotional stamina to keep going through rejection or breakups or what have you. I, I, don't, I don't like doing it. So for the most part, I stay away from anything remotely serious until I'm 100% invested in the person. And I know, not necessarily with certainty, but I have a good feeling that it will work out. And that's been my method so far, and it hasn't led me wrong. I just am not trying to get into a very, very serious relationship unless it's tried and true. And by that, I'm meaning, I think moving forward, I want to establish a very strong friendship connection with the individual, as opposed to just jumping right into the romanticism of it all. And no, that does not mean I am being extra casual. I'll kind of leave that open-ended for what you guys think that means. What that means for me is that when I say I want to build a strong friendship connection, it's because the friendship is what lasts. The friendship is what makes the relationship last, it helps keep respect between the two people. And you should not be bored with the person. Um, that's the only way the relationship can sustain itself because the romantic love aspect doesn't last very long. But if I focus on building a strong connection emotionally and the friendship is very strong, meaning we have a, such a huge um, sense of trust 
in each other, we can strongly rely on each other. I think that will be good because before I was rushing through the friendship phase to get to the romantic phase to feel those feelings, but it just felt not real. It felt like fake. I don't know how to describe it to you, but it just felt like I was rushing through the stage, the different stages of the relationship to get to something that I had always idealized in my mind, which is the sense of comfort. But that comfort can't come in the relationship unless you have truly found a companion. So that's why I say I'm not really into serial monogamy because I don't want to go through that process a million and one times. Only a few times is enough for me. I just want to find a really good companion that, of course, I may share romantic love with at some point, but ultimately we're life companions. We're life partners. We're just, you know, building a life together, that sort of thing. And maybe that seems like a a huge task for a 24-year-old. So that's why I'm not pushing the issue too much because I'm still working on myself and doing my thing and building my business, you know, playing with my cat. Listen, if it comes, it comes. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I'm fine for now. Give me six years and get back with me and I might have a different different, uh, thing to say about that. So what role does romanticism play in our lives Well, for one, we're constantly inundated with imagery from TV and movies and books and stories about the importance of finding your one true love, right? Like we are so fixated on finding this person that's supposed to be like another piece of us in a different part of the world or a different part of our state. And when we connect with them, it all is supposed to make sense. This person is supposed to change the game. This person is going to be the one that changes our lives forever. You know, our lover friend, <laughs> our, uh, what's, what's it called? A homie lover friend? Is that, what, is that what the term is called? Either way, we're trying to find this all in one person who was a good partner and a great kisser, you know, this person could give us the butterflies, but they're also a really good business person and pay their bills on time. And they're, you know, paying, you know, they're, they have the money to provide for a family and they're channeled and they're in tune with us emotionally. You know, we want a lot out of a partner. We do. We want this person to basically complete us, be therapist, friend, coach, you know, lover, family man, you know, we want it all. And that's not to say that we can't have someone who meets a good portion of those qualities, but everyone has flaws, okay? The family man with a strong sense of duty, who loves and cares about you may not be the best emotionally, you know? You know, maybe the woman that you that you desire that you have a great physical connection with, you're very attracted to, you know, she can be, you know, amazingly successful in her career, but maybe she's just not that maternal. She just doesn't have it in her. And she might decide to have a kid, but that's not her role in life. She wants something more than that. I think we need to start seeing people as three-dimensional human beings. They aren't just checklists for us to fulfill our desires and wants, right? Like we 
ultimately are acculturated via, you know, the, the dominant culture around us to view finding your one true love as the person that completes you. And so that gives us the boldness to then say, you must meet everything on my checklist. You must, you know, essentially stroke my ego and make me feel good about myself. And that's ridiculous because that's what this all is about, right? It's not truly about finding someone who's a good match for you, who's a good fit for you, and who could genuinely add value to your life. A lot of this is just about ego. You want to feel like we won at life. And for women specifically, we feel like if we don't have a man, then are we really doing anything? Yeah, you have a good career. Yes, you're successful and happy. You have great relationships, but but you're not you're not married though. You know, you don't have a man. So how could you possibly be happy? You get what I'm saying? Like, I just find that so interesting that, you know, we usually see partners and like when we think about our one, one true love, it's about feelings and what the person can do for us and how they make, you know, how they make us feel. It's stuff that when you when you hold it up to the light, it starts looking funny. It looks real funny. And even I have fallen into the trap of thinking that romantic love was supposed to, I was supposed to get something out of it, you know, like the person I'm supposed to date, I have this huge checklist and I'm evaluating men based on this checklist. And if they don't have one thing, well then throw them away because people are disposable, right? <laughs> like, listen, everyone has pros and cons and I'm not saying settle at all. You know, let's let's use our adult brains here. Let's Let's not oversimplify. I just think that we've started to see people as more of a means to an end. Like this person's supposed to make me feel this and this is how they fit into my life and blah, blah, blah. And it, it comes across as very self-serving, in my opinion. In, in my opinion, it's gotten to that point. And it's not just women that are guilty of this. Men are too. Everyone wants what they want. And I think the, the biggest culprit here is the media because they've sold us on a lot. Because first and foremost, romantic love is not the be all end all. Our familial relationships, our friendships, those are not high stakes relationships and they're the most long lasting. I mean, look, we have so many Gen Zers that once get married for love because a lot of them grew up in divorced households. They didn't see, you know, the type of love that they were told about in movies. They, they don't have, you know, couples around them, a lot of them that they can emulate. So they have this idea in their minds of what a real marriage should be. And so what do they do? They run around in the world trying to make that that fantasy of reality. Because let me tell you, people who have parents who have uh, grown up in the household with them and they've been married for like 20, 30, 40 years, they know what marriage is really like. And I just think that we should understand that what lasts is not necessarily romantic love. It's the, uh, what's it called? It's a companionate love or companionate yeah, I think it's companionate love. Either way, the friendship that you build with that person is what makes the relationship last. You know what I mean? Like it's it's the fact that this person is someone you built a life with, someone that's truly your friend. And guess what? Your friends aren't perfect, right? You have different friends for different things. You know, I have friends who I can talk to about my personal life and my emotions. I have friends that I can talk to where you just go and party. I have friends that I talk to where we complain about work together. I have friends that hold me accountable in different areas of my life. You know, like I have friends for different aspects and guess what? None of them are perfect, but they're good people. 
and they're great for me. And they bring so much value to my life that I, I love these people very much. And so honestly, I don't see a situation where the person that you choose to be your partner, whether you marry or not, should be any different. This person is not going to be perfect, but you should have a, a solid friendship with them to where they trust you, they can rely on you. A friendship where at the end of the day, it's not based on you know your, the, the butterflies in your stomach that could very well be anxiety or indigestion, <laughs> but it should be based on a mutual sense of respect and understanding and kindness. And I'll get to the kindness point towards the end. But yeah, I, I just feel personally that when I think about what the future will be like for my generation, I hope we understand that. Besides the fact that getting a partner is not about fulfilling some sort of checklist, that yes, there should be definitely things that you're looking for in a partner. But at the end of the day, no one is perfect. And so you need to be realistic. I also think that we need to consider as we talk about romantic love, that romantic love is not the most important love. That companionate love is truly superior, right? Because that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you are at that point. Anyone can really be your friend and truly care for you. Um, I also would say that, and this is a more controversial opinion, so I'm not saying this because I think everyone should think this way, although it would help, is that we have got to, got to, got to, if we want the institution of marriage to survive, it's time to decouple romantic love and marriage. I think it's past time now. And that's what concerns me about the generation looking forward is that a lot of these kids who haven't seen a marriage last long in their lifetime, they want to be the one that changes that. So for example, for me, right? My parents were divorced by the time I went to college. And so what that meant was that you know, there's two different ways you can look at this. As a kid of divorced parents, either you're super optimistic or you can be a little pessimistic or realistic. I'm more on the side of realism. Like I fully understand, you know, since I lived it, that marriages don't always work out and that a bad marriage is one of the worst experiences you could ever have in this existence because you're literally stuck to and chained with someone who just you guys do not vibe. You do not get along. doesn't matter what you do or say. It just feels like constant contention. The person you live with can actually become your enemy and it creates a hostile living environment. Wouldn't wish that on anyone. So my fear is that Gen Zers like me who grew up in divorced households, which a lot of us are, are going to try to do the opposite of what our parents, what we believe to be the opposite of what our parents did and, and marry for love and you know, try to be the, 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 the distinction. But unfortunately, I think the older generations haven't really told us the truth about what it takes to be in a marriage. I think a lot of them have, have participated in the romanticization of marriage and family and of romantic love. And they aren't realistic. Not really. They're not going to tell you the truth because it's odd. I remember when I was younger, and people would always talk about marriage and how you can't have sex until marriage and everything was contingent upon marriage. Everything, everything was contingent upon marriage. It's like, was it really love until you got married? Did he really love you if you, didn't, you guys didn't get married? Like, and I, I know that seems like an exaggeration. But growing up in the Bible Belt, it was the truth. And so for me, it always felt like marriage and family were the epitome 
of it was at the pinnacle of life, essentially, and that if a man really loved me, he would marry me. And I don't see it the same way now. I think what tends to happen is that when you view it as a zero sum game, you know, it's all or nothing. Either you marry me or you done you didn't really love me, it leads to a lot of problems because then we say, well, everyone who gets married must love each other when that's not necessarily the case. And that when you divorce, it's because you don't love each other anymore, which is also not necessarily the case. And it oversimplifies a very complex problem. Um, first and foremost, love should not be the primary factor for getting married, right? I, it's weird because like I said, like there was a, a ton of emphasis on love and marriage when I was younger, but like, I'm, it wasn't really clear what the, the, ter- the turning factors were, what I should have been looking forward to and what I should be evaluating and what was the expectation. Like now that I'm an adult and I can reason my way through it, I understand that love, <laughs> love is not something you get married for. Marriage is a, a government document, right? You have to get a, a certificate saying that you are married. There's a little fee in everything. Marriage is a business deal at the end of the day. It's a contract that you signed to be with this person. And you even get tax incentives, right? So essentially there is a a federal oversight in all of this. And when you get married, you're linking yourself with this person for life. Everyone that you love and you feel those romantic feelings for cannot be your life partner. Some of them are not some of them are not equipped. And depending on when you meet that partner, you may not be equipped to be that for them. And I think that the danger comes when we expect that every married couple should make that decision to, to you know, jump the broom based on romantic love. Because the current iteration of romantic love now is me feeling these sorts of I don't know, like a like a a warmth in your chest or butterflies in your stomach, not being able to eat or sleep, that that sense of being madly in love with someone, but that justifies signing a government document saying that you'll be with them forever. It fails to mention that romantic love kind of peters off after two years. So after you hit a certain point, you don't see the person the same. If you've gone about things the right way and you've done the work to build your relationship, then it should be replaced with a more calm, companionate type of love where you're just comfortable and whatever. But a lot of people aren't expecting that. And so they're not willing to put in the work. They think it's just like when you first meet that person and you you feel that spark, that that's going to be what it's like. And that's not true. That was attraction. (laughs) The love part is not the feelings that you get. It's the choices that you make. And when you marry someone based on the feelings and not the facts, meaning how invested they are, what they've done to prepare for a life with you, when you invest in everything but the facts and you make decisions based on your feelings, you're going to be sorely disappointed when things start looking funny in the light. And that's not something that people really tell you though, right? Because they want you to believe in this romantic love so bad because it's an ideal. It's an ideal. That's not to say romantic love isn't real. And that's not to say that people who are married for 40, 50 years weren't in love with each other. That's not true at all. But what I am saying is 
when you marry someone solely based on that romantic love and none of the real life facts that you can prove that are consistent, that are measurable, you are going to be disappointed. So when you choose someone for, and I guess this whole episode has become about marriage as well, but love, romantic love, cannot be the thing that you center your entire life around. So if you're making a huge decision like marriage, it should be based on, okay, how does this person balance their finances? What what their checkbook looking like? What's their credit score looking like? What is their lifestyle like? Where do they want to live? Where have they lived? Do they have a criminal record? <laughs> like it's, it's stuff like this that actually matters because it greatly determines what your life with them is going to look like. After all, they're your life partner. You're building a life together. What kind of life have they lived before you've come into the picture? Because the life that they lived before you came is about the type of life that you can expect with them, honestly. People don't change radically that much. Usually they don't change at all. So who they were before and who they are now can give you a good idea as to who they'll be in the future. But you need the facts, the information to make that huge decision on. And love is independent of those things, right? Romantic love, you can fall in love with someone and know nothing about them, right? You can fall in love with someone and y'all don't even speak the same language <laughs> because it's the feeling that people were chasing and the feeling will get you in some serious trouble. So when I think about how society has programmed us to prioritize romantic love over everything else, I think about the many times that, you know, young women are choosing relationships based on romantic love when their partner doesn't even feel that for them. They just see them as a means to an end, to have someone to protect and care for them and, you know, produce children for them. You know, they don't really see you necessarily as the love of their life. They just see you as a woman that they can stand, they can tolerate and can give them some kids and cook pretty decent. That's what their standards are. Like, literally, I talk to guys sometimes, so their standards are literally... She's not too bad to look at. I could have kids with her. She, she doesn't annoy me too bad. And I like the way she cooks her. I like this thing about her. Like some of their expectations are very low. And I understand why, because <laughs> they're a little bit more realistic. They know they can't get it all, not really. And when I think about what young women are basically indoctrinated into, it's the idea that romantic love is enough to ditch your friends for. Romantic love is enough to move states or move countries for. You know, if a man really loves you, he'll marry you. He'll move mountains for you. That love will conquer all. And that, you know, if you're not madly in love when you get married, then the marriage is not legitimate. We will literally put everything aside for romantic love. For people that we've only known for a few months, when we have friends and family members that we've known for years that should matter more. And we you just put them on the back burner. We put them on the back burner. We're implicitly telling them that they don't matter because we're not in romantic love with them. And that's ridiculous, but that's the messaging that we're getting. And it's holding us back from being truly empowered in our lives and making decisions that are meaningful, like marriage, right? Marriage can make or break your life. It can derail you or it can propel you into a different socioeconomic strata. All I'm saying is when it comes down to it, the way we have told young people to pursue love is all wrong. It's all wrong. I think that moving forward, the romantic love, or not romantic love, the love that we should be chasing is the love that's based on our choices, how we show up, 
for the people in our lives and how the people in our lives show up for us. Because love is an action word. It's not just about the feelings. It's what you do when the feelings are no longer there. It's your integrity. It's the consistency for me. It's the dedication to making the relationship work for me. It's the communication. And ultimately, it's the kindness. Because kindness, I truly believe, the ability to be kind to someone when you disagree, kind to them when you don't necessarily feel like it, kind even when they are not being kind to you. Because no one is perfect and we all have our bad days. That kindness is what shows me uh, this person, this person I need to keep in my life. In fact, honestly, the, the people in my life that have stuck around have been so incredibly kind to me that it motivates me, it encourages me, it inspires me to be a kinder, more patient, loving version of myself because these individuals have shown that to me. They've been in, in, incredibly gracious to me. And that's what I want for everyone listening to this podcast, that you have someone in your life that is incredibly kind and gracious to you, that sees the best in you. And hopefully you can Give that back to them. Doesn't matter whether they're your romantic partner or not. And typically you'll get it from someone that you're not even dating, right? That's just how it is. So that being said, if you liked this episode, please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. You can listen to this podcast wherever you go for your podcast, whether it's Spotify, Overcast, Google, we're everywhere. If you want to reach me, you can find me on my blog at morethanpotential.com. You can follow me on Instagram at it's more than potential. And I have a Twitter page. So go to go find me on Twitter <laughs> at morepotential underscore at the end. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope you guys have a great rest of your week.